Ain't gonna burn ourselves out no more. Ain't gonna burn ourselves out no more. Got each other on our side, plus all the folks at Fried the Burnout Podcast with Kate Donovan. Hey, Fried Fam, it's Sarah here. Maybe you've seen or heard that we're doing a group coaching program around here, and I'm excited to announce that we have a summer group coaching program coming up. We're starting on summer solstice. That's June 21st. We're going to meet on Wednesdays at noon Eastern time, and we're not meeting every week. We've got a bit of a schedule over the course of the summer. Those details are in the show notes. So if you are someone that is feeling low in resources, you're exhausted, and you're curious, book a call with me. I'm happy to do a consultation call with you to help you figure out if this program is right for you. Some of the things that we'll be doing are helping you to identify where some boundaries could benefit you in your life so that it can help restore your resources and make your relationships work for you which also clears resentment. And we're also going to give you permission to let yourself pee when you have to pee, eat when you need to eat, sleep when you need to sleep. These things seem too simple, but they are profound when you're in the place that you're in. So we're going to do that and we're going to help you create a burnout recovery plan that truly meets you where you are with support from the group and support from me. So if this sounds good, Check out the links in the show notes and book a call with me so we can chat and make sure it is the right next best step for you. Talk to you soon. You're listening to season six of Fried, the burnout podcast with your host, Kate Donovan. Fried exists to hashtag end burnout culture to help listeners release any shame, blame, guilt, or judgment that you have about burning out and to create spontaneous moments of healing through recognition of shared humanity with other people who have experienced burnout and lived to tell the tale. Fried and its associated Facebook group are free resources provided for you from our hearts. Our paid work includes keynote speaking and one-on-one coaching. You can find information about that at katedonovan.com. And now, here is this week's Healing Packed episode. Hello, Fried fans. It is not every day that I get to host another podcast host who also happens to have a very highly ranked burnout podcast. I am so excited and so lucky to introduce you to Kelly Bonner, who is a licensed therapist with over 15 years of experience helping people and organizations transform, evolve, and heal burnout. She believes Black women have been systematically taught that their legacy is a struggle, while their legacy is actually one of joy and accomplishment. In her quote-unquote day job, Kelly transforms workplaces by reducing burnout and bias, resulting in increased innovation and inclusion. She provides a framework for leaders to understand the deeper organizational issues that lead to symptoms of burnout and how to solve them at their core. Kelly, welcome to the show. Thank you. Happy to be here. It doesn't say anywhere in there that Kelly is also the host of the Black Girl Burnout Podcast. <laughs> it does not. We needed to update that. I think well, it came gonna... off the website of the we're... podcast. So <laughs> we might need to throw that in there. We, we might need to. Just just a small edit. Note just to self. A little bit of edit. The Black Girl Burnout Podcast um, 
I have been listening to and is useful for everybody. So thank you. Let's just throw that out there as just an additional resource for people. It's just take, take a moment, go there and get that. Kelly, what's your burnout story? Okay. Uh, Let's get into it. So the way I usually tell my burnout story is I tell people I had a spectacular burnout at my first professional career because it really did feel like the culmination of it felt a little bit like, and I may be dating myself, we probably all are, but you remember the movie Jerry Maguire where the guy quit and he's like, I know you're expecting me to flip out right now. Uh, When I ended up quitting that job, it looked a lot like that actually, but that's not the story. We're going back to what got me to quitting, but I it's spectacular because it was so bad that it led me to Jerry Maguire my way right out of what I thought was going to be, and I think this is the important piece, what I thought was going to be my lifelong career. Like I truly believed I was going to be doing that work. And so I always start by telling people, now, not everybody dreams of being a prison social worker when they grow up. (laughs) Uh, Not everybody thinks that, no, really? I know everyone's gasping. Like, what are you talking about, Kelly? That was my dream. But it was my dream from a young, I wouldn't say little girl, but from an adultish, young, young adult age, that's what I wanted to do. And I worked really hard and I got the job that I wanted. And so for me, it was like, yeah, I'm going to be living my dream. And so I tell people two years-ish, almost three years later, where I it all falls apart or comes together in this case of what burnout is. I am on the floor in a puddle of just my own tears and having probably, which I've had very little and rare panic attacks are not something that that's how anxiety manifests for me typically. I've rarely had one. But I was having the first of maybe two in my entire life uh, panic attacks. And what had happened was, that, and it's really important to tell like the circumstances and then go backwards to the little things mm-hmm. that got me there. So this panic attack, I'm on the floor, I'm hysterically crying. And I realize that I think I've left my wallet in the prison. It's on the floor somewhere in a maximum security prison which is a big no-no, as you can imagine, on many levels, like for your job security, but also for your physical security, um, that people have access to your address. And so I am freaking out. I'm doing the thing that you do when you panic. And so, of course, the wallet is at home. It's underneath some papers. But we've all been in a situation where like, we're so stressed, we're missing it. And so we go immediately to the worst case scenario of whatever that thing is. And I realized in that moment on the floor that this is not working out to say is that saying this isn't working out is an understatement, right? That, that this has gone horribly wrong. And more importantly for me, I think part of what I was hysterically crying about is that I lost my ability to do the thing I loved that I had planned carefully, done all the right things. I got the job I was living in. Like I, I remember driving by this house when I was growing up and saying, I want to live in that a, building and I want to live. It was like, I'm living on this little apartment. It's on the river. I have arrived and I'm 27 years old at this point. And at 27, I've already lost the ability to do the thing that I love. And I didn't know it was burnout at the time. I just knew this isn't working. I can't do this. And I tell this story because I think people have been there. And what comes with that realization is shame and guilt. 
particularly yeah. if you're in a helping profession, right? It's like, oh, I said I was going to get out here and change the world and prison reform. And I'm not able to do that. I have a lot of shame of that and then a lot of guilt because I was making limited, I will say limited, impacts with the people that I was working with. And then it was that moment of being like, I'm going to abandon these, mm. these folks, this cause. And I quit that job eventually. I mean, there's little parts I continue to work, which I think a lot of people can identify with too. Yeah, Did I quit that day? Absolutely not. I dusted that mental breakdown right on off <laughs> and I went back to work, got beat down some more. <laughs> and then I was eventually like, I got to go. This is it. I quit. Like that I, is and I quit that job. of the year. I dusted that mental breakdown right on off, just it, right on off. And so back I go, <laughs> exactly back. I go that insight lasted. I mean, I knew it was over, but I still went on the over fumes for at least another six months. And then what ended up happening is I quit like the job site unseen. Like I just said, I'm done. I got to get out of here. I had no job lined up. I had nothing. I mean, it was to the point where my going away party I had that literal card that they had back in the day that had a cat that was said, hang in there. Like literally that's what my coworkers gave me. You're going to land on your feet because I had quit so spectacularly that they're like, how is this girl going to pay her bills? She just up and quit. And that was the card I had gotten on my way out Everybody can see that. What a visual. Like what is it? Everybody knows what that looks like. The cat looks wild and, you know, not, not hanging in there. That was the card they gave me on my way out the door. And I probably looked like that cat, to be fair. And I certainly (laughs) quit like that cat. That is literally how I quit. I went in on people from that space of the cat hanging in there by a thread. So, yeah, that that is that is the story of my burnout. It's just. I also burnt out at a similar age. And people have a hard time with that sometimes. Like, I was burnt out at 28. Yeah. And people are like, you are barely working. It was and my was first like, professional job. Oh. Yeah. And, well, and I mean, I started working when I was 12. So I was like, well, it's not really. I mean, I've right. been working this whole time. I've been working longer than you and you're an adult. And I think for people that, have different childhood experiences, right? So my father was a drug addict and alcoholic until I was six, went through rehab at that point. When you have a a different level of adverse childhood experiences in life, you have different drive. You have different push that gets you through things. You have different rules for what it means to succeed. You have just, it's, there's a different set of rules. There was a different set of rules for me. And so when you said that that came with sort of like shame and guilt, that's the th- the stuff that hits me the most. That shame, just like when I was burnt out and not able to help people the way that I thought that I wanted to, that shame just comes out in buckets. And stops your healing journey too. I mean, that because yeah. you, you cannot heal from a place of shame, right? And, and I did have a lot of it and I carried a lot of that with me. And for, you know, me, different, you know, different childhood experiences, but I'm a child of an immigrant, first generation. Mm. I have had, you know, as a black woman, I chose so much of my identity was chose 
with why I went into the prison system. Like the motivation behind that was that I really wanted to have help black and brown people. And yeah. I was like, well, where are they, you know, disproportionately impacted and could need Everywhere. some help? Everywhere. Uh, but it was showing up a lot in the prison system at the time yeah. I had made that decision. And so I, so much of the reason that brought me to the work was tied into identity and then so much of the work ethic and the desire to to do be my best and do the best comes from like the things that we learn as kids. And I think a lot of the myths that black women carry with them about you have to be not just good, you have to be better than good. Because if you're not better than good, you're not even going to get middle of the pack, right? Yeah. So all of that is swirling around. And so the shame was very acute with that. I felt like a failure. I really did feel it wasn't as simple as like, well, you could just, I'm a social worker at, you know, direct practice. Literally there's a million jobs I could have done. Right. It's not as if I was going to be unemployed forever, but I carried that shame and it led me to smaller versions of burnout in my life. Nothing like that again, but because I carried the shame and I didn't know it was burnout and I didn't like really want to acknowledge what was going on. I would just go in and I would start again. Now you just reset the clock and it'd be like, okay, this sucks. I'm, I got to go somewhere else now. And I was doing that a lot. There's a huge factor that is similar in so many people that have come on this show that none of them came on to talk about this particular thing, but it it pops up a lot and is not my story. But I did grow up in a community where it is the majority of people's stories. First-generation immigrant. First-generation citizen. Immigrant, citizen, immigrant, citizen. The pressure to succeed because people gave stuff up for you. The pressure to please your parents. The cultural balance that you're doing. The translation of sometimes language, sometimes culture, sometimes both. Mm -hmm. That role that you play in being like, well, I'm an American, but like, uh, I've got half (laughs) a foot in this other place that I barely know. How much of this, of your drive, do you think came from this need to like make your parents happy with their sacrifice? Was that part of your story or no? I'm it doesn't sure. have to be. For some no, people it is. But I, I think it was. I don't think it was as present as other folks, like to be yeah. clear. But but I do think it's in there because so much of how I learned about work yeah. was rooted in, in like culture, was rooted yeah. in that piece. And uh, my father is American. And okay. even with him, I saw some elements of like work ethic in the home. It's like my mother was very much who is the the immigrant was very much like we do things a certain way and you you need to do this and be, you know, you should be proud. And she was proud of me, but it was like success. She wasn't over the top, but there was this feeling of like, yeah, we've got to carry on these cultural values mm. that is excellent. Excellence is at the center of it. And mm. on my dad's side, I think when you see your parents, I think this is a case for both first gen folks and people who just grown up poor. Yeah. That when you see your family struggle and work hard yeah. and you know that they're not getting as far as they could, you see like the unfairness of that. It makes you feel like that's normal. It normalizes struggle, right? Yeah. That that's a part of adulthood and a part of life. And my dad grew up at times, he was doing three jobs. Like yeah. he was a hard worker. And 
it's just like an expectation. Like there's an expectation culturally as a first gen, there's an expectation as like a poor person that hard work is part of your life. Yeah. And I think those things really fueled me and my own kind of like, I developed this own sense of accomplishment and identity were tied. Like I really Mm. put a lot of my identity into what I could do, being competent and not just being competent, being the best, being excellent, really good. Yes. Being excellent. And all of that in that soup, right. (laughs) Of what makes me who I am definitely made me a candidate for burnout. It was like, when I look back at it, I'm like, yeah, it was a countdown to that was, it was inevitable in so many ways. Like, yeah, that was, and then plus the job. I mean, Working in a prison system, contrary to the dreams that I had, is a stressful job and has a lot of abuse in it. Shocker. Spoiler alert. It's stressful and has a lot of systemic and just natural stress. It's a very oppressive environment. I mean, if you're a Black person, I don't know what I was thinking. It's just not a great environment. So all of that was just like, how did you think you weren't going to burn out is is the better question. Like, how did you think this wasn't where this was going to end? Well, because we didn't know what it was. Right. Back then, no one. And that's the thing, too. Like, you've been doing this for a while, so you understand it. Like, even five years ago, people didn't know what burnout. When you Google it, it'd be like a car spinning out, like a tire burnout, right? That's exactly in my speaker reel. <laughs> because I was <laughs> like, when I I was so excited to, like, be one of the first people talking about burnout on Instagram, like, way back when. And I started hashtagging burnout everything. And then I was like, oh, I should click on this and see what my competition was. My competition was NASCAR. <laughs> yes. Yes. A burnout. That's what you get, like a car spinning in a circle and tires on fire, right? Like you yes. did not, people did not talk about burnout. And so that was, that's what became part of why I do what I do now. It's like, I wanted to give people the ability to recognize through language, like to have the language of what it was so that they could actually recover, like recognize and recover. And for so many people, including myself, it wasn't until I branched out when I was, I did a lot of trauma work as a social worker. And I said, well, I want to kind of see if I can get certified in this thing. And it was like, oh, that is what I experienced all that time ago. That is that phrase. And I wanted, then I became really passionate about, even though I had it at a higher level, Many people, I've known many people's story has been, yeah, I burned out of that job. They weren't saying it, but they're like, yeah, I couldn't do it anymore. I quit. I hate that job. And so many of us in helping fields, when we're quitting and just going to a new job, nine out of 10 times, it's because we've we've hit burnout, but we just didn't know what it meant. Yeah. And so you said earlier that you kind of took it with you for a while. Can you talk Mm -hmm. about that a little bit? Yeah. I mean, because I didn't know what it was, it's just, I was doomed to kind of repeat it. And so I would set up the same patterns, the same things that you now I know are just like, you're setting yourself up for burnout. I didn't have boundaries. I didn't know what that was. I had my identity tied into my work so tightly that I didn't understand like what's, I didn't ask the questions of what's actually important to me versus, oh, who I am needs to be validated by the work I do, which I now know that's not good. I just set it up so that I wasn't honoring myself and everything was upside down. Like I tell people like, work is work and it's always going to demand more than you can give by nature of what work is. And I was feeding into that. It was already demanding a lot, but then I was saying, okay, well, who needs, you know, to go to the bathroom regularly? I'm on the road. Like who needs to get lunch? Who needs to do these things? And I kept that pattern of behavior because I thought that's what work was. So I kept bringing it with me because I'm like, this is work. This is, you're proud of what you do. You got successful. Oh yeah. And then it was being reinforced. Exactly. Yes, it did work. It was being reinforced. 
I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't, right? Because it was like, oh, I'm working harder than everybody, but I'm still not getting paid like other people. I'm working harder than folks, but I was still the best at my team. Like I was often like the top performer. And so there was that kind of maybe not financially rewarding, but there was the other types of rewards people give you where they're like, wow, that's amazing. You're, you know, that's so cool. That's so wonderful. And, and I, so we reinforce that kind of sacrifice martyr mentality. Yes, we do in a big way. And this is something that I had. I'm going through a training now uh, for people that want to do burnout recovery work. And I had them write their own eulogies Mm. recently because I said, listen, what happens is sometimes getting in touch with your values is really hard. And we can do this core values exercise. It's free on my website. And some people really struggle with it. It's something that we end up often doing as like coach and client because it's a hard exercise. It can be a hard exercise to do. I said, we're going to make it easy. And for anybody out there, you want to do this exercise. I say, go for it. I will never forget sitting in multiple funerals. I had like quite a few back to back and they were all women. And every single eulogy sounded like she gave up everything for her family so they could be happy. She mm-hmm. basically like completely abandoned herself and erased herself and had no personality outside of taking care of the people around her. And I was I just remember sitting there over and over again and being like, if people say this about me when I die, I will be so upset. I know. <laughs> what I just, a gal. Like, no. gave up everything. Yeah. And... Like, no, I yes. don't want it to be like this. And so I said to them, I want you to write a eulogy that would make you happy to hear later. Yes. Not because it would be the most beautiful thing that anybody could ever say. Not because it would estout all of the cultural values that you have, you know, that are embedded into your skin like it or not. What do you want it to say, really? We came back. We all cried on the next session. (laughs) Yeah, it's powerful to do to do it that way. And I and I think people don't they they're like fundamentally what has become my mission is to heal our relationship with work. Like we just mm-hmm. don't get it. And we don't understand what work really is and what it's not. And okay, okay, so break it down. <laughs> so what work really is is an opportunity for you to express mm-hmm. what matters to me, what your values are. It becomes an opportunity to do that. What it's not is Whoa, Ooh. stop and do that again, because you just blew like 800 minds at the same time. <laughs> but We're going to say that sentence one more time. Yeah. I'm going to back up. Yeah. What work really is, is an opportunity for you to express your values. That is what work is. It facilitates the expression of your values. And for some people, that's just a check. But having that check allows them to say, like, I get to be the best parent I could possibly be right? Because that check allows me to be at every t-ball, softball, soccer game, hug my kids, be present, have weekends off, right? But it is fundamentally, that is what work is. It gives you the opportunity to express what matters to you and express your values. You just flipped my world upside down, Kelly. (laughs) That's what I came here to do. I don't know if you got the notes, but... (laughs) I mean, I was ready for it. But that is it. I think what it's not is work is not an opportunity for you to heal your relationship with your parents, for you to heal relationships that you have with yourself, your anxiety. And and oftentimes what happens is we treat work as, and I mean work, the title, the thing, 
as an entity, as an individual that we have a relationship with. We don't owe work anything. And work is never going to say, good job, Kelly. You're the best. Be- and in, in response to the fact that my dad never said it, for example. And when I see people breaking boundaries and doing all manner of things that are just not healthy, so much of it is that what are you trying to prove? Like, what are you looking for from your boss? Are You're looking for your boss to give you the pat on the back that you wish you would have gotten 10 years ago. And your boss is not, even if you have a great boss, sometimes they do it, right? And that's wonderful. But it's not the job of a boss to firm you up as a human being. And I'm not saying this to be insensitive. I'm saying this for us to think about it. Because when we have those dynamics with work, that's when we're more likely to break boundaries. That's when we're more likely to work the weekend to prove something to the, the team members, right? It's from our high school and we got picked on or whatever, right? We treat work as a relationship in our life. And as a result, I, I am on a mission and people are really like, it's very kind of polarizing and uncomfortable to talk about it. It's like, yes, our, our job should keep us safe and we should be able to grow and professionally develop. Yeah. But there's a lot in the space now that we're asking of work that's like, no, that's what you need to do. So you get to go have a life. Have a life. That's not work. Work is not there to make you feel good like that. You, it's in, inside. Like work is an expression of my values. And so if a values is compassion and I'm a therapist and I can be compassionate all day, I've had a successful day. But it's not for my clients to say, Kelly, you're the best therapist I ever had because of a wound I have that I just don't feel good enough. Yeah. And, and recognition and praise is necessary on a neuroscience level for your of brain course. to stay healthy. So there's this balance, right? There is this but, balance. All right. So let's let's talk about this a little bit because this is something that always gets under my skin. And I think that you're going to offer me some new perspectives that I haven't uh, necessarily considered yet because we all get uh, stuck in our, in our biases and our lanes and our ideas, you know? Fried fam, I tell you in nearly every episode that step one of your burnout recovery is blood work. And I know that a lot of you avoid it because it's a pain and because your doctor has told you that everything is quote unquote fine. And they refuse to test all the things that you think you need. What if I told you that you could test what you want, when you want, from your home with just a couple of drops of blood? CyFox Health allows you to do just that. You can buy tests as one-offs or join a membership. Either way, you can test and track your results to help you make decisions about your burnout recovery journey. Get 10% off any membership, subscription, or one-time test kit right now. Go to scifoxhealth.com forward slash fried for your discount. That's S-I-P-H-O-X health.com forward slash fried. All of the burnout research, or not all anymore, all of the burnout research up to 2017, I'll say, has said work is the cause, Mm -hmm. right? And even if it's not 100% of the cause, the percentage that they throw around is 80. 
Right, right. Yeah, right. Yeah, and there's a, a whole host of organizational psychologists and leadership and development people and chief well-being officers that are saying this systemic change needs to happen, that work needs to shift the way it is, that work is uh, inherently toxic and everybody needs to change and shift so that people can feel safe and feel good at work. Now, my personal feeling is that, sh- sure, we have a lot of systemic shit that needs to change. Absolutely. Sure. Like, let's not argue with that. And cool if organizational psychologists are developing ways to um, increase senses of belonging and and psychological safety at work. Like, let's do that. Mm -hmm. However, I'm still a person with wounds and trauma coming into an office. And my experience that I bring with me is going to affect how I assess your psychological safety And you might be able to do everything perfect. And I might walk in and be like, this place is toxic as hell. Yeah. So my question is, in your experience with people, how much do we need to do on our side? Now, I want to break this down into prevention and recovery. Right, because burnout prevention, burnout recovery, I believe, are very, very different spaces. Yes. How much of it is our job in the burnout prevention space, and how much of it is our job in the burnout recovery space, and are they the same or are they different? Is that too many questions at once? <laughs> <laughs> I will do my best. Okay. I think that some of some of the tools are the same, right? Okay. Uh, fundamentally, I what I agree about the re- research, I agree that work is at the center of a lot of problems, yes. but what. Ultimately, it is our relationship to work that is toxic, and it is what work is founded on. I do believe work is inevitably founded on inequity and toxicity. Yes, I mean, agreed. even if we just start at the Industrial Revolution, right? Yes. It's exploitive. Work is yes. inherently exploitive. Yes. But what I will say is our our individual relationship to work, there part of what reinforced this to me, and I'm not trying to deviate too much, is when I decided to be an entrepreneur versus a worker. Mm-hmm. like a person that worked in a company. Mm-hmm. And I had, I was a director. I had like the last job I had, I was in the C-suite. So I'd achieved, I wasn't like at the bottom where a lot of people are being mistreated, to be clear. What I realized when I journeyed into entrepreneurship was that I need to be in therapy. And part of the reason why I need to be in therapy was because work had, when I went to work, it deprived me of a lot of decisions. Like, I just, Mm -hmm. look, I'm just doing this because I got to do it. And while that's fine, what I'm trying to say about that is work took away a lot of like self-work that I had to do because I just showed up to the job. I did really well. I created new things. And that's where I learned on top of many other things. I already knew work was just work, but that's when I really realized what work really is and isn't. Like Mm -hmm. you have to deal with your values every day in entrepreneurship. In Mm -hmm. work, if you don't want to, think about it. Unless your boss asks you to do something unethical or illegal, you're just going to go through the motions. And you don't have to think a lot for yourself. You don't have to do that work. And so now when I think about burnout recovery and prevention for myself in this other space of entrepreneurship, it looks different in the sense that I now have the skills I didn't have when I was working even then to do that for myself. So prevention, I remember that it's just a job. Even in entrepreneurship, which is deeply personal, right? Yeah, It's just a job. And so when I see these stories of people quitting or pivoting or whatever, and people are just saying, oh, that's a shame. They shouldn't, you know, they shouldn't have to quit their job. I think, 
but it's just a job. Yeah. So if they want to quit, okay, because work is not the center anymore. Even in entrepreneurship where it matters inherently more <laughs> that you get work and that you get paid because you got bills. It has become even more important that I understand, but it's just work. And before what it was, was my own isms coming out that I wanted to prove to people that I'm a black woman and I'm good. I'm fighting some social justice cause via my nine to five. And I don't mean I was doing social justice work. I mean, I'm trying to fight a cause via the nine to five, which is inherently filled with isms and sexism and racism. It's like so much of my identity and being validated. I was looking for validation all the time at my job. And so what I do now in prevention on the prevention side is I say, I'm not, I, that's not what, this is a job. I do some great work. I do amazing work, but it's still a job. I get fulfillment by pursuing a life of joy. That's important to me. That's where I get my fulfillment. And so I no longer have to prove to my boss, you know, we'll call him Chad. I don't have to prove to Chad. Hey, I'm here, Chad. Remember me? <laughs> I'm the one with the degrees here that actually is qualified to make these. Oh, okay. You don't want to hear from me. That's fine. Uh, off I go. Right. Or, oh, I have to prove to people I'm not hostile, even though I'm like a bubbly, nice person. I don't have to have that war because I was genuinely thinking like Chad is the responsible for telling me what I already knew, which is like, you're a good worker. This is just work. Go home yeah. and have fun. Go home and find some joy. This, this is not it. And I think that that is part of, on the prevention side, I really have remembered what matters, which yeah. is having a life of joy. And when people ask me, what am I most proud of since my burnout is that I, I live a joyful life. That literally is the answer I give them. It's not an accomplishment I've done professionally. I've done some really cool stuff. Is that I have a joyful life now. And that's something that I was not accessing because I was too busy trying to fix a system that was like, no, it's just going to continue the way it is and get some validation for myself. That I'm like, I need to go therapy and get some internal validation and not worry about what my boss thinks. Well, and having a joyful life is also doing social justice work without doing social of justice course. work. Yes, of course. And it can be doing that. But I'm always at the center of it is what is joyful to me. Yeah. And I'm making choices that sustain a joyful life. So if I take a client, I'm thinking, okay, is this feels a little like this is feeling stressful. Let me see if I can find another client that doesn't feel that way. Yeah. You know, the podcast is a joy for me. It's yeah, like same. I make sure I put those things in my life. And I go back to that. I don't look for validation from people who aren't worthy of validating me in the first place. Uh, I go back to what are my people in my world look like? What are my relationships with those people? Are they healthy? Am I doing my part? Are they doing their part? That has rewritten and work is now in its proper place, which is it's just work. It can be meaningful work. It can be something you're passionate about. I want to be clear. I don't think you should hate work. I don't think you should be apathetic toward work. Yeah. But you need to remember, it's just work. And yeah. it facilitates me living the life. It's part of me living the life I want to live. One of the things that you said when you wrote your burnout story was that your complete self-sacrifice for, quote unquote, the team was self-betrayal. Mm -hmm. And so I want to go into this self-betrayal a little bit because I think this is some something that's really common in women, self-abandonment, self, 
betrayal, self-neglect. And I think it's likely even more relevant for black women. It's yeah. relevant for women across the yes, board. Yes, of course. And more relevant for black women. What, when you have been taught for most of your life that the correct way to interact with the world is one of self, self-betrayal, self-abandonment, self-neglect, do you think that anybody can get to the place where they're like, no, I'm just choosing joy without therapy? I, yes, I think okay. you can. I mean, I, I think therapy will get you there quicker. I'll just be yeah. honest. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? I'll just be honest. I think if you are facilitating a life where you can go into the woods and journal and no one bug you for a while, you could probably get there. But like, who's doing that? Who has that? If you have it, good for you. Yeah. Um, and you could just use, listen to some self-help tapes and like literally have space yeah. to process. Sure. Um, but I do think therapy is probably a crucial part or some kind of therapeutic engagement. It doesn't have to be therapy, but yeah. something that makes you reflect, holds you accountable. You know, there's a space where you have to just face it and make decisions in that moment and learn how to make those decisions. I think that that is why you could probably, you need to do something therapeutic, maybe not therapy. Um, so I think that's possible. But I think we have, because you have to unlearn things. And one of the things you have to unlearn is that women have been conditioned to engage in self-abandonment, you call it, to engage in self-violation, violating yourself, and betrayal. And I do think burnout ultimately is a betrayal of self, and it's a betrayal by the system of work itself. But we've already well covered that. But it is a betrayal of self. And I think part of it is because we've been positively reinforced that that is how you need to go about life. And that's a really hard lesson to realize that when you center joy, it's counterintuitive that everything else happens afterward. That when joy is at the center, the money comes, the relationships come, the, the, you know, the ease with which you navigate your day, it all comes from what you center. And oftentimes what we've, we've been taught is sacrifice. It's a myth. It's a cultural myth and certainly a work myth that if you sacrifice, the reward is coming. Yeah. And that's not the case. It's like yeah, if you like, center, take care of yourself, the reward is coming. Like knock, knock, knock. Hello? <laughs> yeah, you nothing. have my reward? <laughs> no. I'm doing don't. all the things. It's Excuse called me? forced retirement or <laughs> some e- economic collapse, right? It's like literally like there's no reward. It's a recession. It's, there is no reward because fundamentally work cannot give you that. Like it can be rewarding to do work. But it's not going to give you sacrificing now in this bank. This imaginary bank is not being deposited that you get to cash out. Like, yes, there's retirement. But then we see the studies where people are inherently sick five years after retirement. They have chronic illnesses. Some people drop dead of, you know, sadly, strokes and heart attacks, things like that. So it really it's counterintuitive. And in order to be able to say, oh, if I center joy, all this stuff's going to happen. It sounds silly when you say it in our culture. It's like, what? Get out of here. Joy, I got bills to pay. But really when you center joy, and that's at the center of like the podcast, when I have guests on, it is the thread through all of them. Different backgrounds, different stories, different happy endings. Uh, But it is at the center. That's like, oh yeah, when I started actually having boundaries, when I started actually taking care of myself and finding reasons to smile each day, I got the best job I've ever had and it could be still in corporate or I got the best partnership I thought I was going to get. I have all these different things and it really is the reverse of what we've been taught. 
Yeah. And that's the, I have the same thread um, in guests here. And that's, this is why the stories of like, well, it's all the workplace's fault. And if the workplace just got fixed, then everything would go away. And I'm like, no, some people would still burn out because oh, we yeah. have stuff that we're carrying that we shouldn't be carrying. A lot of people, I think, are afraid of joy. And yeah. joy comes with guilt, I think, especially in underappreciated communities. Yeah. I'll say the word underappreciated more than any of the other yeah. words. Right? Because how can I be joyful when mm-hmm. all this shit is going down? Yeah, yeah, right, right. Right. How can I, how, how can I choose, how can I not choose anger instead? How can I not double down on my work to make a difference? How can I not, how can I choose joy when so many people are suffering? And I think it's because we don't, I, one, I agree a hundred percent with what you're saying. I think in, I love underappreciated communities. It's definitely a huge weighty theme. And I think it's a, I think it's a universal theme that's just, yeah. I think amplified in underappreciated communities. Yeah, I agree. And I tell people it's because one, we've defined joy wrong. I don't think people know mm. what joy is. We think joy is is a happy ending that you see cinematically. We think joy is like frolicking through fields every day and you get up and you're like, life is great. I can't wait. I'm so joyful. And I gotta tell you, I'm a joyful person, but people who know me, they they definitely know that's not how I show up in the world. That I've just got, <laughs> although I do. As an aside, I've, I'm a geriatric millennial who discovered TikTok, and I live for a black girl frolicking in a field. I have, like cottage core has made my heart soar. Let me just tell you, I have dreams, people, and I am going to frolic in a field before my life is over. I cannot wait to see that TikTok. That that's right. I am going to frolic in a field with a drone catching me, sound of music style. Anyways, I I say all that to say that we think joy are these big, grandiose mm. things. And joy is just, it's one more aspect of discipline. It's a discipline. It's a practice. And joy is literally building up the reserve so that you can do those other things. So it's not joy at the expense of what's going on in the world. Joy at the expense of people are struggling or maybe social justice work is at the core of who I am. It's that building of joyful practices is what allows you to show up and do the work. And building joyful practices is not grandiose. It's small. It's saying that, you know, I know for me to be a fully functional adult, I need at least an hour of no one. But I'm the morning person, but like I gather my thoughts in the morning. I need my cup of tea in the morning. And some people don't even have the hour. But if you have a cup of tea that brings you joy, that is part of the practice. And there Mm -hmm. is always a time to find five minutes to put tea in a mug to enjoy. It's the playlist you play on work that makes you smile. You got to get to work. Why not have a playlist that gets you, you know, smiling? That's a joyful practice. And instead we look to like being able to be financially free and frolicking and everything's wonderful. And that's not it. It's building up resilience and acts of that make you happy and bring you joy so that you can withstand hardship. And that's why people who center joy at their life are resilient folks. It's not that problems don't happen. It's that they have a bank to tap into. I'm about to lose it. Let me go get my tea. Let me play that playlist before I walk in the door and cuss out everybody I see in my home because I can't (laughs) stand my boss, right? Let me get that playlist out 
so I can at least be jamming so that I don't want to kill everyone, right? That yeah. is what a joyful practice will do for you. Yeah. If you don't have a hype music playlist on your Spotify, like I don't, what I don't are you know doing? if we can be friends. <laughs> I agree. Like, what are you doing? You're, what are you missing out on in life? <laughs> Start that today. <laughs> I recently added um, Rumors by Lizzo and Cardi B to that list. And Ooh, every time it came on, it makes me like, it makes me laugh. Yes. It makes me, yeah. So that's that's my newest addition to my hype music list. Um, I need to, I feel like we just need to sit in joy for a moment because I'm having this like a little bit of, I would say, an emotional release slash relief. Because what, what you're saying is validating for me I keep choosing to live this way and it is a struggle for people to understand oh yeah and they won't initially it's a struggle for people to some of them won't ever like I was I talking to someone the other day and they were like but I'm a new coach so I have to have all my hours available and I have to invite every and I have to and I was like Wait, what? Good luck with that. I was like, no, no, no. What hours do you want to work? And she was like, well, 10 to 2. And I said, well, then close the rest of your calendar. Yeah. And she said, well, what if I don't get anybody? I said, yeah, but what if you do get somebody that only wants 6 p.m. And every time you get on the phone with them, you're angry. Yeah, you hate them. They (laughs) become your least favorite client because it's a 6 p.m. client. Like, what? What if it gets full and you have to deal with people 12 hours a day because you were afraid to shut down your calendar? And she was just looking at me like, (laughs) I was like, listen, I don't take calls before 10 a.m. Me neither. I don't do it. You don't want to talk to me before 10 a.m. anyway. You might be a bubbly person in the morning. I am not. (laughs) Even in the bubbles. I'm not trying to talk to nobody before 10. I'll tell you that much because that's me time. I want to be in the space of joy for myself to get through. I just want to not be bothered. Yes. The, the first few minutes, like, I'm just in yes. a, like, my husband laughs because we'll sleep, you know, we'll go on vacation with somebody and share a house or somebody and or something, and I'll go downstairs in the morning and someone will say something. He'll be like, oh, no, don't, don't talk to her yet. It's not 10. It's not I'm 10. not waiting for it. my coffee or anything like that. I don't need to, like, like, oh, not before my coffee. It's just, like, I just woke up. I need quiet yes for right now Me i'll too. talk to you in a minute mm-hmm. i just need a mm-hmm. so joyful living is-, is polarizing i think yes. i think for some people it's like you said it's very uncomfortable but here's what i'll say to people it's worth it one that's the okay yeah everybody says that but what i will mm-hmm. say is on top of it once you set a course for yourself right like yeah. this is how i'm gonna live this is how i'm gonna be what happens is people show up who are not polarized by that. You build yeah. community and maybe your community is on Zoom or on text because they don't live, you know, they're not your next door neighbor. Yeah. But you build this community of people and it just like joy reinforces joy. Like I I could tell you from that story that on the ground in a prison system where I was being sexually harassed and not just by the inmates, that that was yeah. to be expected. I mean, sexually harassed. 
where I was being abused, where I developed PTSD. I genuinely had trauma, traumatic stress beyond burnout. I can tell you as a person who started out there and then gave myself like, not TMI here, but multiple UTIs because I was driving and not literally stopping to pee and wrecked my (laughs) my poor urinary tract, poor thing, still healing, right? I can tell you that. I've been there. I've done those jobs to tell you that I now live in a world where I wake up without an alarm clock. I wake up naturally. I am able to only talk to people I enjoy. And if I have one bad conversation, it is the first and the last conversation. I work with people who truly, we we effectively communicate. If something goes wrong, we say, what could we do better? Instead of normally being like, uh, it's five o'clock somewhere and I'm quitting. That's what I'm going to do better. I'm going to drink and then quit in that order. Um, I now navigate, there is no conflict because literally it's resolved. I work with people who love what they do. I am able to take my Fridays off for the most part. And I say all that because I am able to do all that because I actually center joy. It is not impossible. And I meet people who do this all the time. And when I made the decision to say, this is how my life's going to show up, my life met the challenge. And I think so much as we think, okay, if we say we're going to do this, nothing, nothing's going to work out. It did. And every day I'm reinforced by that choice. And so I know where many people who are listening to this are on their journey. And I know it feels like a pipe dream because I sure that Kelly who's crying (laughs) on the floor is not imagining a world of Kelly now. Like I totally empathize with that. But I promise you as someone who's been there and is here, what awaits you, you can't even imagine. You literally cannot imagine how much better it is. It's not perfect. But when I go for a cocktail, it's usually not because I hate my life. It's because I want to enhance it. Like, oh, you know what? A gin and tonic would be fabulous right now. Let's have a gin and tonic. It's not, I'm not as sick as I was physically anymore, right? And I just, I want to remind people of that. And that's why I do the work that I do, both in organizations, but just this podcast particularly, is to show people what they haven't seen, because we don't center voices like that in general, And to show people that it's possible. And not only is it possible, it's better than you can conceive of. If you do small things, like start with your playlist. It literally starts with put rumors on your playlist, because that's the recommendation. (laughs) And drive to work with some kind of centering of like, this was a fun commute. I enjoyed myself. It starts as simple as that. And you just keep adding and adding and adding. And you can get to there. And you might not know this. But one of Fried's um, unofficial taglines is pee when you got to pee. Pee when you got to pee, folks. Literally, I could do a whole commercial. But what's that medication you get when you? I had it on. I had so many UTIs <laughs> that my doctor would just be like, I put multiple refills. Just call them and tell them it's that time again. This is a uh, this isn't running joke here at Fried because that's where it starts. It really does Literally. start. <laughs> go with, to the bathroom. You got to go pee. to the yes. bathroom. Yes. I agree. I think that's hysterical that you're saying that. And I think my listeners are going to be so happy right now. (laughs) Just go pee. Let's start there. Forget the playlist. Go pee pee when you got to pee. And I sent this out as an email a few weeks ago and somebody was really upset about it. They obviously hadn't been listening for a long time and they wrote back, ew, disgusting. Go pee away from me. (laughs) (laughs) But at least you're peeing. Look, I was like, hey, listen, as long as you know, 
as long as you're peeing, it's fine with me. I just thought it was hysterical. So I love that. But I think this is the perfect place to wrap up in this idea that no matter where you are right now, the post-burnout growth, as Sally Clark calls it, the mm-hmm. post-burnout growth period can be so beautiful. And does it suck that you have to get to burnout before you get to that? Yeah, maybe or not. I mean, <laughs> depends. depends. whatever. Yeah, like I, I don't think it does for me personally. Thank God I went through burnout when I did so young. Yeah. Because I have a life I like now and I'm 40. I didn't wait till I was 60 and retired. I didn't suffer for another 20 years just because. Yes. I changed that shit when I changed that shit. Yes. It's true. I agree. So I think that's a beautiful place to wrap up. And for anybody out there listening, if you were listening to Kelly and you're like, I need more joy in my life. I need more of this particular energy. I want you to immediately subscribe to the Black Girl Burnout podcast. Because this is what her podcast feels like all the time. A little less laughs, though. I don't want to prepare people. I think what people are going to be shocked about me when they listen to the podcast, I said, what's one thing that people would be shocked about? I said that I have a sense of humor. Not that the podcast isn't, you know, as horribly dry, but what you will get is that it it is very much centered on healing practices. If you want to take that first step to joy, you want to take that first step to to opting out of a struggle-filled life, that is 100% what you're going to get on the podcast. And if you sign up for YouTube, you might get more of my person. You get more laughs. I'll be honest, because I'm really branching out there and I'm a little wild. You'll get more laughs there. But for sure, this this is this is who shows up. And I know I've been there. So I will help you walk that path out. And thank God there are more and more of us every day who are who have done the work to be able to center ourselves enough to be able to reach behind us and say, hey, I've got you. Yes. Like, thank God for that. So fried fam, I got so much out of today for myself. And I hope that you have a few sentences that really sort of poked you in the heart. That one about work, I'm going to have to go back and listen to that a couple of times. Is so true and really powerful. So what I want to know after this episode, and uh, you can do this on Instagram comments, or you can run into the Facebook group and tell us what you were thinking. I want to know what thing about this particular podcast, like hit you right in the gut. The thing that is like, that gets you and you say, you know what, that's actually a shift I think I can make. That's actually a a mindset change or a perception shift or a self-care strategy that I can actually do. I want you to tell us what it is because the more we have this conversation out loud with other people in front of communities, the more people are going to feel free and feel permission to make those same changes. We lead by example. We lead by modeling. The more joy you have, the more joy I have, the more joy we all have. So, until next time, plus joy, please. See you then. Ain't gonna burn ourselves out no more. Ain't gonna burn ourselves out no more. Got each other on our side, plus all the folks at Fried, the Burnout Podcast with Kate Donovan.